Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hope you had a good weekend. We kick off a new week and a new month. Lots going on, confirmation hearings, and much, much more. Here's what we'll be talking about today. The latest on the weather. A lot of winter weather to talk about with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson, plus a look at what's happening weather-wise in South America. We're going to talk with the president and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. We're going to talk about infrastructure proposals and an effort to get something done there. And we're going to talk markets with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing as China continues to buy and uh, a lot of strength in the markets. We'll talk about it with Naomi later in the program. But though it's going to be a busy week ahead. Let's talk things over now with Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, always good to talk with you. I guess we'll finally, it looks like, get some action on those uh, hearings for both USDA and EPA this week. Well, good morning, Mike. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And yes, we're going to be watching closely on Tuesday. The Senate Committee on Agriculture is going to be hearing from the nominee for USDA, a very familiar face, of course, to all the committee members, and that's Tom Vilsack. And then on Wednesday, the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee is going to be talking to Michael Regan, the nominee for the Environmental Protection Agency. And Thursday, we've got the Labor Secretary, Marty Walsh, who's the Boston Mayor Marty Walsh, uh, going to be doing his confirmation hearing. So we'll be following all those closely, but most particularly the USDA and the EPA hearings. Well, Vilsack, of course, familiar face, and many know him, and it's expected to go through pretty smoothly. But it will be interesting to see what he has to say on some issues such as climate policy. Well, we all know that climate is going to be a big part of this new administration, and it's also why our our summit in March is going to be focused on that, and we're going to have, uh, hopefully, both Secretary Vilsack and his top climate person, Robert Bonney, has confirmed that he'll be speaking, too. So this is a chance for the senators to get Secretary nominee Vilsack on record of what he plans to do in the administration on climate in conjunction with the other cabinet members and the president, and also to see where he's going to be headed with farm program payments, uh, what he might be thinking about in terms of a regulatory agenda. So I think you'll hear everything from questions about farm programs to climate to trade to probably packers and stalkers, and also some things about the RFS. So it's going to be really an, an interesting preview of what could be expected ahead as Tom Vilsack comes back to a USDA that he led for eight years. Yep, anxious to hear what he has to say. And then also, there'll be a lot of interest in what Michael Regan has to say as the incoming EPA administrator. One of those topics will be about waters of the U.S., and whether or not he wants to change it back to the way it was before the Trump administration got it changed. And uh, there's already some uh, in Congress working to protect the new WOTUS rule. Well, WOTUS is just this controversy that just keeps on coming. It doesn't seem to really get resolved for very long because as soon as it does get 
approved by a new administration, then it's challenged in the courts. And uh, when we interviewed Michael Reagan uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, he didn't give really a lot of indication of what was going to be the path forward, but certainly it sounds like it's going to be reviewed heartily by this administration again, and we anticipate that it'll be changed once again and challenged in the courts once again. Mm-hmm. I, I thought your int- your interview with him was very interesting. He asked great questions, pointed questions. He he was very careful with his answers and how he worded them. He was very careful, but the one thing that ag groups are supporting him around is that he's known to have an open-door policy and willing to listen to the ag community. Uh, he told me about fond memories of growing up and going out to the farm that his grandpa had and hunting and fishing, and so he does have a practical boots-on-the-ground perspective as well as from an administrator's view. Of course, we're also watching this week what happens with the stimulus package. Yes, this will be the big tussle of the week as we see how this plays out. As you know, President Biden has suggested that there needs to be $1.9 trillion in new funding for uh, both coronavirus as well as a variety of things. Uh, That package has a $15 federal minimum wage. It has aid to states and municipalities. It has an extension of unemployment benefits uh, at a higher rate up to $400 for a longer time period through September, and $1,400 checks that will go out to individuals up making up to $75,000 or couples up to 150. Republicans have pushed back, and 10 of them are expected to meet later today at the White House, kind of a, a group that includes uh, Senator Jerry Moran of Kansas, uh, Senator Rounds from South Dakota, and eight others. And they're offering a $618 billion package, so far less and more targeted. Uh, those payments would be $1,000 for individuals rather than 1400 and unemployment extended only till June at $300 at current level. Um, so there's a lot of differences. Uh, the Republicans claim there's this more targeted and focused solely on coronavirus relief. Uh, the Democrats are saying we just can't wait any longer. We have to have this very big package. And so um, whether or not it, that we can come up with a bipartisan agreement remains to be seen, but at least there's going to be a discussion later today. Yeah, a lot of discussion. And one other issue on immigration, which, of course, affects the whole country, but in particular, as we look at it from an agricultural standpoint, uh, could have bearing on ag labor. And it'll be interesting to see if anything finally gets done on that. Well, there's certainly a push to do that as well. You know, uh, we tend to do better when there are comprehensive packages that agriculture can be part of, but there's an interest in doing some piecemeal things. But one thing we were um, watching closely this week that got resolved very quickly was the South African labor situation. I know some folks are concerned because one of the variants of the COVID uh, uh, virus has emerged in South Africa, but there are a lot of farms that were expecting to have workers come over from South Africa that was going to be banned in an uh, initial announcement but then was reversed quickly by the Biden administration last week. So those folks will be, those folks who are healthy will be allowed to come back in and work on farms. 
Yeah, we'll be talking more about that in the days ahead for sure. As always, Sarah, thank you very much, and uh, we'll look forward to the reporting you and your team do, uh, especially this week on these confirmation hearings. should give us an interesting look ahead at what may be coming from uh, these key positions in uh, the Biden administration, especially as they pertain to agriculture. Thank you very much. Thank you. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Yeah, we'll be watching those closely as, you know, they'll be careful in these nominees and how they answer questions, but could give us a real look at what they're thinking as far as policy ahead, especially when it comes to the climate issues. Well, a little climate issues, I guess. Winter weather, if you will, hitting much of the country. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. And what about rain in South America impacting uh, their harvest down there? We'll talk about that next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Always good to talk with the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall. There are still voices out there calling for country of origin labeling. And do you think that's going to become a big issue again? There's no doubt about it. What we continue to push for is the recognition that there are better opportunities to showcase our product, and we can do that through voluntary means. There's quite a few programs that are regional or state-based in nature. One that has been extremely successful is the Kentucky product program that's going on there, where they have worked with Kroger stores in Kentucky to have a branded program, Kentucky Beef. And that voluntary approach, we think, has more connection to that consumer than just a, a blanket government government-run country of origin labeling program. We're against mandatory government labeling in regards to country of origin, but we believe that those value-added labeling programs that show some sort of origin do have value. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. 
Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, thank you for being with us. Uh, We're talking winter storm. A lot of the country dealing with some uh, winter weather. How widespread is this? How much snow are we seeing across the country? Mike, the uh, snowfall that's going on right now is uh, pretty much focused in the Appalachian Mountains into the northeast and uh, snowfall amounts of, uh, of a foot plus are pretty widespread. And uh, this is the kind of the latest or last round of uh, a huge storm uh, that crossed uh, the country from the west coast all the way to the Atlantic seaboard during the past seven days. And, and as that storm moved across, it had, you know, kind of uh, areas where it was a real big snow producer. It started out, and rainfall, I should say, it started out in the west coast about the middle part of last week, uh, dumped, uh, what, 10 or more inches of rain in the coastal areas of California, completely wiped out uh, part of uh, Highway 1 along the Pacific Coast, uh, not too far from Carmel, California, Big Sur. Uh, it left uh, close to three feet of snow in the Sierra Nevada mountains and uh, then crossed into uh, the Midwest uh, with, uh, what, a foot plus of snow or close to it. Uh, kind of uh, in a corridor from uh, the Mississippi Valley around uh, eastern Iowa towards Chicago. And uh, now it's uh, bringing a heavy snowfall into the Appalachians and then into the northeast. I mean, you know, this was, you know, this was a real doozy. And uh, it's impressive the way it held together. And uh, like I say, just made headlines uh, from coast to coast, which is a pretty remarkable uh, development uh, from that uh, system. Certainly causing some problems and challenges in many areas, but it also brought some much-needed moisture to a lot of areas. No doubt about it. Uh, there was, uh, you know, the the uh, snowfall in the far west um, is going to help uh, to uh, supply irrigation uh, for the crop season that's upcoming. Uh, there's going to be uh, some uh, soil moisture recharge in the eastern Midwest, and, uh, in fact, uh, the longer-range forecasts do have uh, pretty much uh, drought easing and, uh, in fact, coming to an end in the eastern Midwest uh, before planting uh, for the spring's row crops gets underway. Uh, in the northeast, uh, it's been quite dry in New England, and obviously there's going to be some uh, easing of uh, drought conditions in that part of the country as well. So there has been uh, some benefit uh, along with uh, all of the uh, delays on uh, transportation, safety concerns, and and, uh, everything associated with that, Uh, there's been uh, a real uh, benefit when it comes to soil moisture. After a mild start to winter, there's also some uh, colder weather coming, right? Yes, there is. Uh, This this actually had been uh, pretty well dialed in uh, in uh, 
you know, the way we're looking at the forecast uh, during uh, the past uh, several weeks or so, and that is indeed the case as we get into February. In fact, when we get through this, uh, the balance of this winter season, we're likely to have quite a reversal from January because January overall was a really quite mild month. And um, as we go into February, we are starting out on a uh, below-normal track over uh, some pretty sizable areas in the southeastern part of the country, even in the parts of the eastern Midwest. During this coming week, uh, we're going to see temperatures in the northern and north-central parts of the country uh, get down to below zero, Mike. And in fact, uh, parts of Minnesota could see uh, low temperatures this weekend, this coming weekend, uh, reach the uh, minus 20 mark for an absolute temperature. And that quite likely could be the coldest temperature so far this winter. And uh, that obviously sets the stage for some pretty chilly conditions overall. And when we get farther into February, uh, we're likely to, uh, you know, kind of uh, take our, our time in terms of getting back to a, a more uh, normal temperature track. So February is going to be uh, quite a bit colder than January and then uh, possibly a little bit more active when it comes to the uh, precipitation trends as well. Yeah, winter settling in for sure. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, Bryce, let's look at South America. Um, how much rain are they getting? How's that impacting their soybean harvest? Yeah, uh, the uh, pattern is uh, not looking real good uh, for the soybean harvest in Mato Grosso as we look ahead to this week because uh, they are already starting off slow. Uh, that uh, you know that situation was compounded by the uh, driest uh, start to their uh, soybean crop season uh, back in September and October that they had seen in 40 years of record keeping. And uh, so that uh, kind of uh, started the whole cycle, if you will, off uh, on a very slow note because of delayed soybean planting. And now when we get into uh, this uh, kind of uh, late fill stage, early harvest stage in central Brazil, the rains are showing up, and uh, so this isn't going to be favorable for the uh, central Brazil harvest activity. And, in fact, uh, soybean harvest nationwide is just short of 2%, uh, and that's the slowest in 10 years. So there's uh, going to be some issues with that uh, particular uh, activity. And already in southern Brazil, uh, there's been some heavy rain, even some local flooding, uh, which is uh, delayed harvest in that part of the country as well. So things are not all the uh, all the greatest, obviously, in Brazil when we look at how things are shaping up this week. Yeah, not good for them. Uh, helpful, though, for market support as uh, it keeps uh, China and others buying from us when they might normally be buying from, uh, from South America. What about Argentina? Argentina's uh, got a little bit of benefit uh, coming up this week in the northern half of the country uh, with shower and thunderstorm activity um, that, that will offer a rainfall of about a half to one and a half inches of rainfall. Uh, so, you know, they've had some uh, benefit in terms of this uh, mid to late season time frame. Southern Argentina, though, is going to stay on the dry side. That's Buenos Aires and La Pampa states. Um, and then uh, the uh, next uh, couple days uh, are going to bring some more showers, followed by a drier trend, mild temperatures through about the next seven days, and then a steadily warming temperature pattern. 
So we could see some borderline hot and dry conditions here in about the next 10 days or so in Argentina. And uh, conditions could turn pretty stressful pretty quickly uh, because of uh, that pattern. So that uh, could be uh, a, a real late-season shock, if you will, uh, to the Argentina crop scene. Of course, we're not only watching South American weather for their soybean harvest this time of year, but also thinking about their safrina corn crop. Yeah, and and uh, I don't think that they're going to have a real good start uh, to uh, to the planting of that second crop corn, the safrina crop, Mike. And it's uh, it's really significant when you look at the total corn uh, supply availability out of uh, South America because the safrina corn crop is now um, worth, if you will, on supply. It amounts to 75% of the Brazil total uh, corn crop production, and a lot of that is focused in the state of Mato Grosso. So these issues that Mato Grosso is having with possibly um, uh, harvest-delaying rainfall after already having a late start to their soybean planting, uh, this is all, uh, you know, really uh, quite unfavorable, and, and it uh, it tips the wheel toward a lot of concern about how that total Brazil uh, corn crop is going to act. And uh, we have seen in the past, particularly about five years ago, that delays in the onset of uh, safrina crop planting then uh, came up against uh, maybe a little bit of an early delay uh, or an early end, I should say, to the rainy season. All of that can compound and and uh, cause a real um, drawdown in the uh, total Brazil uh, corn harvest. And we're already looking at about a three-week delay in the start of their safrina crop because of how delayed things were at the very beginning of the season back in September and October. Well, all of that plays a big part in what we're seeing right now with the markets. That's a big key piece of the puzzle, so we will keep a close watch on that Indeed. Bryce, thanks a lot. Always good to talk with you. Okay, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. We'll talk more about the markets a little bit later on with Naomi Bloom, but when we're looking at uh, how much longer our market rally could continue, these are big factors. The, the, The weather in South America delaying their soybean harvest and also may impact, perhaps in a negative way, that uh, Safrina corn crop so uh, those are big factors and could uh, lengthen and strengthen this market rally we'll get naomi's thoughts a little bit later on will the new congress and the new administration be able to work something out on a comprehensive infrastructure package we're going to talk about that next with the president and ceo of the farm credit council stay with us hi this is mike adams you're listening to aoa adams on agriculture Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the ag industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Ag. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Ag. We hope to see you online. 
What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Following last week's historic corn buying binge by China, which saw March corn finish over 46 cents higher for the week, March again set a new contract high in the overnight, but has since faded a bit. China in the past four days has purchased a known 230 million bushels of U.S. corn. China continues to sell wheat from its reserve supply to internal livestock feeders as they substitute for high-priced corn. In the past four weeks, a total of 12 million metric tons have been sold in the reserve auction. Wheat futures have been back and forth with all three markets rising from 21 to 28 cents last week. On the Board of Trade Minneapolis Spring Wheat March trading 7 cents lower at 6.26 and a half cent. The May contract down 7 and a half cent at 6.35 and a quarter. Kansas City Wheat March down 12 and a fraction at 5.25 and three quarters. Chicago Wheat March down 9 and a half cent at 6.53 and a half cent. For soybean futures the March contract down four cents at 13.66. The May contract down four and a fraction at 13.62 and three quarters. May corn trading a penny lower at 5.46 and a half cent. The December contract up a penny at 4.46 and a quarter. Higher cash cattle on Friday bodes well for this week. Somewhat light activity last week could result in cash cattle business being done earlier than usual this week. Strong pork cutouts should keep packers bidding no worse than steady to begin this week. April lean hogs are trading seven cents lower at 76.57. The May contract up 32 at 81.30. For feeder cattle, the March contract down 10 at 137.65. The April contract up seven at 140.75. April live cattle down 40 at 121.42. The June contract down 32 at 117.27. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Will the new Congress and the new administration be able to get something done on a comprehensive infrastructure plan? Let's talk about it with Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. Todd, thanks for joining us. I know that you are hopeful and working, doing all you can to uh, try to get something done on infrastructure. We sure are, Mike. Good morning. Uh, you know, we're, we're optimistic. We think the Congress and the Biden administration are going to be focused on infrastructure and, and we're having a pretty good reaction as we talk to people on Capitol Hill and in the Biden administration about the unique needs in rural America and hoping that they will focus on those. It is hard to find bipartisan support for much of anything these days. I thought four years ago, I, I was surprised. I thought that would be the, the area that, okay, they'll get together and they'll get something done on that. And when they didn't, I thought that kind of set a tone uh, a kind of a negative tone that we saw play out over the next four years. Now, there are a lot of other issues, obviously, now. We've got the uh, stimulus debate and still an impeachment debate and a lot of other things. But again, it seems here we have this this great need in the country and seemingly bipartisan support. Can they get past the politics to get it done? I sure hope so. I, th I think they can. I think there's an opportunity here. I think there's uh, a willingness of both parties to try to find something that they can work on productively. And when you look at this, the, the, the scale of the issues involved, uh, infrastructure is someplace that does have bipartisan support. And so we're, we're hopeful. Uh, we may even be optimistic. And when we say infrastructure, that encompasses quite a few areas, right? There are a lot of layers to that. Well, it sure does. I mean, for us, we're looking at the obvious, right? I mean, roads, bridges, locks, dams that are all so important for getting agricultural products to market. But beyond that, we're talking about a lot of things that make it worthwhile living in rural America. It's hard to be out there without affordable health care, quality health care, broadband, uh, electrical support, clean and safe drinking water, uh, housing options. All of those are what we consider to be infrastructure issues that are facing rural America. You know, you think about, and I know parents out there, especially during the, the COVID situation, have been so reliant on Internet. And Internet in rural America is pretty bad. And you're not going to have a stable, safe, uh, uh, thriving rural community unless you've got broadband. That's just the truth of it these days. And so that's going to take enormous investment, hopefully from the federal level. Is a comprehensive plan realistic, though? I mean, we've seen this with immigration. Uh, it always seems to get bogged down, and then maybe we get something done on a piecemeal uh, approach. Uh, when it comes to a comprehensive plan here, you, I mean, you mentioned roads and bridges, and uh, oftentimes it starts. we start hearing about increases in, in fuel taxes and things like that to yep. pay for it. I mean, that's, that's where it seems to always get bogged down. That's, that's right, and and we you know we're we're hopeful, and we do think there is an opportunity, especially in this uh, first let's call it first 180 days of the Biden administration, when they are so anxious to show bipartisanship, that we can find an infra, a comprehensive infrastructure bill that moves forward. Now, what what we're advocating for is that any bill like that that moves forward should have a 25 percent carve out specifically for rural. Because we've seen that, that when rural gets lumped in with everybody else, it's difficult to get its share out. And so we're, we're very hopeful that the Biden administration and Congress 
will specifically set aside 25% of infrastructure improvement funds for rural projects. Yeah, that's significant. We're talking with Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. You mentioned uh, broadband. Uh, COVID has, has highlighted the deficiencies in broadband accessibility and the need for an improvement there. It sure has. You just cannot do business today. You know, modern businesses cannot exist without broadband, and that includes agriculture. I mean, the amount of data that that modern farms have to sort through and deal with, decision-making tools, are all online. And so we've got to have reliable broadband. I mean, reliable broadband to us is the same thing as, you know, our grandparents' generation, great-grandparents' generation getting the phones turned on, right? In in the original, back in the early days of of the 20th century, you know, having a party line phone was a real hang-up, right? Then we got past that. We've got to find a way to invest enough money in, in technology to spread broadband around. Otherwise, rural communities, especially businesses, schools, hospitals, are just going to be at such a disadvantage they won't be able to compete. You know, when you start talking about all these various areas of infrastructure, then you bring Congress together, and even if there's bipartisan support, uh, a member of Congress from one area might want to focus more on broadband, another might want to focus more on roads, and then that kind of gets into that political debate, which gets more, and and that tends to bog things down, too. It, it sure. Well, everybody, you know, everybody wants the project in their backyard, right? I mean, if you're a member of Congress, uh, you want to bring home the bacon, so to speak, and and that's an important part of this, but that's one of the key reasons we have said Let's segregate 25% for rural, and then once we get that, we can argue about how to divvy it up between the needs because there's plenty of needs. Um, but segregating that 25% for rural, I think, is the first key decision Congress needs to make on that. You know, I'll give you an example. We, we started talking with the previous administration early on about infrastructure. They said, well, well, uh, you know, give me a list of your billion-dollar projects. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. If you gave me a billion dollars in rural America, I could fix a thousand rural water systems. You know, it it goes farther there. And so getting people to understand that rural is unique, that the needs are different, the scale is different, is really our first objective. Yeah, I want to share your optimism, but I've been optimistic in the past on this, and (laughs) I don't see things get done. So I kind of have this, I'll believe it when I see it, attitude because it just seems like it always gets bogged down in the politics of it Uh, i'm hoping what you're telling me is that you're seeing some positive signs here that that may bear fruit this time well that's that's what i mean by we're we're very hopeful right we're always very hopeful but but at least that given the signs we're seeing right now we're even a little bit optimistic we think there's a decent chance that an infrastructure package is going to get some momentum mostly because we're seeing both sides of the aisle call for it. Um, and, and even, especially out in the rural areas, there is real uh, bipartisan support. I mean, when you've got Democrats in rural areas and Republicans in rural areas, they seem to be saying the same thing about this. Yeah, I mean, if you ask the question, do you want to see infrastructure improvement, they all say yes. <laughs> it's just, then the next question is when sometimes it starts to bog down. But you mentioned agriculture. You know, there's going to be a push, obviously, here on these climate policies. And for agriculture, 
I think the case can be made for agriculture to take full advantage of the technology that's available now to address some of these climate issues. You're going to have to have better broadband access and things like that. Oh, that's, that is absolutely the truth, Mike. I mean, if, if you cannot uh, effectively capture, uh, manipulate, measure data in real time, you, you really can't do some of the things I think agriculture is going to be asked to do and potentially even incentivized to do, right? And that's, you know, th- this gets a little political, but that's one of the reasons we think it's so important that Tom Vilsack get, get confirmed quickly because he understands this. Uh, we worked with him for eight years during the, the uh, Obama administration, and he was a real advocate for broadband out there. And And having his voice at the table in the Biden administration is going to be really important to, to, to make sure somebody's looking after rural America's needs. Well, you mentioned uh, this window in this first 180 days. That's why things like they need to get resolved what's going to happen with the stimulus package and what's going to happen with impeachment because all those things, even though they can do other things at the same time, those tend to uh, uh, suck all the momentum away from uh, these other projects. Yeah, you know, the, the, the old saw about uh, walking and chewing gum at the same time, Congress has proved they're not all that good at that. So you, you hope they don't get distracted by some of these things. Because there are so many pressing needs. Uh, you know, the COVID pandemic has just laid bare problems in the ag supply chain, problems in, in broadband, uh, problems in health care. And it really is time for Congress to come together and, and focus on solving these problems. Is agriculture going to Washington, uh, to Congress, to the administration with a, a unified approach on this, a unified message? We, we really are. Um, the, the good news is we, we created, gosh, I guess it's four years ago now, something called the Rebuild Rural Coalition. And it's more than 200 organizations, agriculture and rural organizations from all over the country that are trying to speak with one voice about the need to address rural infrastructure. And, and I got to tell you, I think we're being heard. Well, let's hope you get it across the finish line this time. It's certainly a a very critical issue. Todd, thank you very much for the update, and we'll be talking more about this uh, in the uh, days ahead. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. All right. Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. Again, another opportunity here as we start a new administration, new Congress. Can they work together and finally get a comprehensive infrastructure package uh, through? We will watch closely. It's uh, critical for the whole country, certainly important to to agriculture and to rural America. All right, up next, markets. We've talked a little bit about the South American weather. We'll take a look at China's buying and some other issues and see what's uh, what may be ahead with these markets. Uh, been quite a ride so far the last several weeks. We'll talk about it with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. That's next, right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. 
text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful. And sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table brought to you by CHS as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. Beware of telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you. Call is threatening you with arrest or other legal action and demanding money are not from us. If you receive a call like this, hang up, do not provide them with any form of payment or information. Report the call at oig.ssa.gov. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. What's the message here you're trying to get out to uh, retailers about offering E15 to motorists? 
after a couple of rounds of uh, funding from the U.S. Department of Agriculture for infrastructure is that most of those stations that did not receive any money from these HPIB grant programs should know that they can probably use their existing equipment to sell E15. And that's very different from the message that they've been fed from the oil industry and even from regulators over the last several years. The most recent thing that happened is just at the end of the last administration, they issued a proposed rule to change the labeling requirements and compatibility requirements for offering E15. There's good stuff in there and there's some stuff that probably doesn't need to be in there, but it's a 90-day comment period and we want to make sure the retailers take a look at those things and tell us what needs to be in there that isn't and what's in there that doesn't need to be. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Never a dull moment with the markets these days. Let's talk about it with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, we heard earlier from uh, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson about rain in South America slowing the soybean harvest there. That's a big part of this uh, market picture right now, isn't it? It sure is. Um, you know, with that, that harvest is so critical because uh, China is very desperate to get their hands on some more soybeans. So with over half of that crop already spoken for and forward contract and priced out, yeah, China is definitely wanting to get their hands on it. And then also, there's supposed to be 8.5 million tons of Brazil soybeans that are supposed to ship out in February. So with that on the books, uh, its expectations, and then with them not being able to get it harvested, yeah, that's it's a big deal. It's very much something to be watching in the coming weeks. Because the more delays in their harvest, China's obviously got this need that that extends the window for them to buy from us. That would be the hope that they continue to turn around and, and do their buying from us, absolutely. And, you know, we saw a little bit of... Um, Again, like Southeast Asian demand for soybean product this morning, Philippines came in and bought 133,000 metric tons of soybean meal from the United States. That's a pretty big purchase for them. So it does look like Southeast Asia in general, along with China, is looking for more product. And I'm sure that the rumors are circulating around the world that um, our crop is smaller than expected and people are just doing their best to get their hands on product now. Um, before things potentially get higher yet for prices this summer. Yeah, and so far, higher prices have not discouraged sales. Oh, and you're so right about that. You know, I had a few clients who called in, and, you know, they were concerned, well, what if China were to cancel some of these purchases? And I said, well, you got to remember, the bulk of their buying was done dollars ago. And so with the purchases that they've been doing right now, except for corn, you know, they've been smaller ones for soybeans. And, and they're buying right now as they need, and I think until they can get by, until that South American crop is more available. But, um, yeah, just with the, the amount of livestock that they're rebuilding for their hog herd, the demand for feed is there, and that's not going to go away. So this rally you see continuing for a while? I do feel that prices are going to be able to continue to work higher into next week and possibly the week after, but a few things to be aware of. Next week on Tuesday the 9th is a regular monthly supply and demand report from the USDA, 
And then later that week on the 12th, that's the start of the Chinese New Year. And sometimes uh, they don't do any purchases during their New Year celebration because they're shut down for a good week. But every once in a while, they do have some purchases. And then we're going into a three-day weekend with President's Day on Monday, so the markets will be closed. And right after that, it's the USDA Outlook Forum, where we're expecting them to show you know, lots more acres of corn and beans that expect to be planted this spring. And then they always put down trend line yields. So it kind of drags on the market a little bit. So we need to make sure we continue to see Chinese demand during that time and bad weather happening in South America. What are you recommending concerning new crop sales? So I think with a lot of producers, they are probably between 25 and 30% sold with cash marketing. And then we're starting to have really thoughtful conversations about how to protect unpriced bushels with different option strategies, fixed risk strategies, to leave the upside open if there is upside yet this summer, but also just to give yourself a floor because of the tremendous value that's there. So. Um, really good conversations, but producers are concerned about how dry they are in parts of the Midwest, so they are hesitant about being overly aggressive with any kind of a cash sale at the moment. So again, 25 to 30 percent, I think, is where a lot of producers are headed to very soon. Had several conversations with market analysts last week looking ahead to uh, acres this year, and you know, so much speculation on who gets more corn or soybeans, but there. It's interesting. I mean, if you're going to increase acres, where are those acres coming from? Now, some prevent plant acres coming back into production, certainly. But some of the other crops, whether it be sorghum or wheat or cotton, if their prices stay strong, maybe those acres don't switch over to corn or soybeans. Yeah, that is something that we're absolutely watching because you're right. The assumption right now is that maybe sorghum loses some acres or cotton in the south or especially spring wheat up in the north. So we'll see if, if those markets become sensitive to the idea that they've lost lost acres and we see any continued rally from them to try to get producers to know, just stick with those some of those traditional rotation crops on things if they can. But yeah, right now I think... The industry lingo is that um, farmers are going to be planting closer to 91 million acres of soybeans. That's up from 83 million this last year. And for corn, last year farmers planted 91 million acres, and some in the industry are looking for like 93 to 94 million acres. So it does really make you scratch your head and think, okay, where are those acres coming from? But more importantly, just remember, the USDA and the industry is going to assume trend line yield until proven otherwise. So sometimes that can just hang over the market and, and take some of these great pricing opportunities that we have and just kind of simmer them down a little bit. A lot of uh, discussion about stocks-to-use ratios right now. What are you seeing there? Well, for soybeans, it's still the second tightest in history. So there is room for soybean price to go higher if we continue to see the strong demand there. And on corn, I think there's been seven years where the stocks-to-use ratio is tighter than what it is right now. And in those years, we had 6 to $8 corn consistently in those years. So it was like 2010, 11, and 12. So there was definitely some drought situation, of course, in 12, but it was strong demand-led markets, and that's what pushed prices higher. But again, those peak prices a lot of times didn't come until summer, and we still have a good seven months yet of this marketing year to go. So there's going to be lots of twists and turns, but ultimately, based on everything we know right now, the outlook is still friendly for the grain markets. But don't be surprised if we see a little bit of a seasonal setback heading into late 
February and going into March. Um, that's a traditional thing to see. All right, Naomi. Thank you. Always good to talk with you. Take care. Yep. Thank you. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor, Total Farm Marketing. Well, that wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Stay safe and hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.